All right. Well, let me get the Guatemala team to come forward that is leaving soon. I'm going to hand this off to Timothy and let him lead uh, this commissioning, and I'm going to pray over us. Okay. So in case you're wondering what somewhat limited space means, it means just enough fear to make you act quickly. That's my, that's my logic there. Yeah, that's exactly right. Looking at you, Gabby Ortega. Your initials are G-O, so you better go. <laughs> Win. Um, on that note, uh, so this is most of one, two, three, four, five, six. Is that right? Six. We're missing two. That's going to be really great. I promise I'm going to get everybody through the airport. We'll be good. I want to have to do that. Like when we get back to America, I'll be like one, two, three, four, five. Because as long as we got eight, we're good. Um, so we're going to Guatemala uh, in six days. So this coming Saturday, we're going to fly to Guatemala City, then go to a city called Huawei, um, where a friend of ours, Alicia Hera, um, runs a ministry called Story International. And there are a bunch of things connected to that, a uh, children's home, a, an emergency respite care for uh, women who are at risk, um, a coffee shop, a school more that's it so that all this stuff that goes on and basically it's all about caring for the specific group of people in guatemala and we're going to go serve for a week um we're going to be doing lots of projects around the the ministry they have so helping build transitional housing and just painting rooms hanging out at the school doing whatever they need us to do um and then at night we're going to be you going to come kyler kyler's coming too so good job bud I like how he comes to the middle. Like that's 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 confidence. I like that. Um, and then at night we're going to be doing uh, like ministry oriented stuff for the youth age kids. So there's about 30 to 40 middle and high school age kids, and we're going to be doing fun stuff. We're going to be doing serious stuff. It's going to be uh, the whole idea is that we are going specifically with the intention of blessing the people there. So when we left, I, or when we were getting ready, I was like Alicia. I know that you probably have things that you get teams to do, but we're friends. What do you need us to do? And she's like, okay, there's a few things that I need you to do. And they're not really like pretty or like take a picture of it. It's great, but it would help us a lot. So that's basically why we're going is to help our friend um, and and serve these folks in Guatemala. So we're really excited. Um, This is going to be a great opportunity for us not only to partner with what God is doing, but like in the world, but partner with what God is doing in each one of us, a chance for us to use gifts, talents, skills, and, and just serve people um, that are our, you know, our Jesus family down in Guatemala. So that's what I got, Steve. All right, come gather around them as we pray for them. Gather. Family, friends. If you don't gather, I'll think you don't like me. <laughs> Whoa. Yes. All right. So let's take just uh, a minute, and uh, y'all can just begin to pray. So as y'all get here, just go ahead and be launched to pray, and then I will pray for us and pray us out in a second. (laughs) Father, we thank you for this team. God, we thank you for their obedience. We thank you that, God, as they go, that you will go with them and before them. Father God, that you will use them and you will change them. And I pray in this moment, God, that you really would. You would speak life into every part of their of their being. I pray, Jesus, that you would empower them for the calling that you have for them in this trip. I pray, Father God, that you would help them to connect very well in Guatemala. I pray, Father God, that they truly, that you would move such a way that, God, that everything they do would be a blessing for the team that they're going to connect with. And we do pray, God, for great fruit 
in their ministry, but also fruit in their personal lives, God, that they would come back being changed forever. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you just to flow in them as we talk about in Scripture, says in Scripture, God, this, that you would come and fill them once again afresh and anew, God, with your spirit, with your power, with your knowledge, Father, with your wisdom. And that, God, as they go, Jesus, that they would do great things for your kingdom. Give them eyes for your kingdom above everything else, Jesus. We bless them. We thank you for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to start uh, each service if we can remember, right, Steve? Uh, you may have noticed the last few weeks we've been trying to start each service with, um, with a couple minutes of silence. It's something that you're going to do in your groups if, you're, if you've signed up in our inner group. We're going to try to grow into being more comfortable with, uh, with being still and just, uh, you know, send ourselves on Christ. The very, very place that you went in your mind and your heart as you were singing songs in worship. We we're just encouraging you to go to that place and, and learn to be still and learn to be, grow to be more comfortable with quiet, silence, and stillness. So if you would, just, let's, let's just go there together for a moment or two. Thank you that it is your heart to come and rescue us from the noise of our lives. To lead us to become like you, to be able to sit still. Connect with your Father. Lord, your word commands us to be still and know that I'm God. Won't you lead us to your ways? Won't you bring about change? And help us embrace the changes you want to make in our lives as we step into the fullness of who you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to start with, I want to um, just connect and give you guys a little bit of an understanding. If you're in a group, a little bit of what to expect this this week um, in, in your group. You're going to be getting together and you're going to watch a video from Pete Scazzaro, the author of the book that we're uh, that we're reading through. Um, so in, in this first week, if you if you could read those first three chapters of your book. So. You've got the book. Go ahead and read the first three chapters. Some of you may not be in a group and may have gotten the book. You can kind of follow along with us. So we're going to read those first three chapters uh, this first week and then um, begin reading your daily office. You know, if, if it's, you know, technically it would start tomorrow and there's five days a week that it's asking you to do that, like the days that you would go in the office. So start reading your daily office, you know, in the morning, and the evening and and ponder those questions 
you know, that are in that day to day book. Okay, that's that's what he calls a daily office. And you're going to be hearing more and more about that, because when you start your groups, you're going to you're going to kind of dialogue about how that's going. And that's a big part of of the study, as we've been talking about, is learning how to slow down and be able to to connect with and dialogue and walk with God in this life that he has in store for us. So just a little heads up of what to do this coming week. Um, next week, if you're in a group, we won't be meeting due to uh, Paulding and Cobb County's win- uh, fall break. We won't be meeting next week. So everybody's off next week. And then the following week, we'll jump into part two of, um, of the series, okay, in your group. We're going to start this morning and, and kind of realize you've seen, if you've seen the picture, you probably saw it on the sign-up sheet. You can see it in this artwork behind me. Kind of the the visual piece with all this is this big iceberg. Scazzaro talks about, if you read the book, that, you know, he says 10 percent of our lives are really lived above the surface where everybody can see who we are and what we're about. And at this 10 percent level is where behavior modification is is we're really good at. You know, we can act nice in front of uh, other people, even when we just walk out of an argument with our spouse. Right. We can step outside or go answer the door and put us and smile all of a sudden, even though just a few moments ago we were we were in a tilt. Right. And um, and that's that. That's the tip of the iceberg. That's the piece that you can see. But what we're really getting into and what this whole piece is about and why we're embracing this as a church is Jesus heart is to come and transform all the stuff that's below the surface. That other 90 percent of who we are is that, you know, where we struggle with whatever we struggle with, there's a reason why we struggle with that. And that that stuff can come above the surface and vent itself in closer relationships or vent itself in the car when somebody cuts you off or vent itself when you get upset about something. But there's a place that that comes from, a place below the surface. And Jesus wants to come and heal and transform us below the surface. And that's a big part of what this study is about, is for a lot of us and a lot of the things that are below the surface, we may not even know what's there. Like we think we know ourselves pretty well and, and most of us have an idea, but the reality is there are a lot of things below the surface in every one of our lives that Jesus knows about us that we don't yet know. And those things below the surface are what cause us to act and behave the way we do. And Jesus wants to address those things peacefully and lovingly to redeem those things to everything of who we are and what we see, our character is transformed and we get to live an authentic life beyond what we ever knew was imaginable before. Hence the image of an iceberg. So as we dive in this morning, we're going to look at a, at a character in Scripture, uh, King Saul. And so as we start to kind of get there, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15... In 1 Samuel 15, I'm going to read several verses, and we're going to dive into these, uh, these passages um, in your group. But we're going to address them as a, as, a, as a group this morning. And just to kind of set things up, you have to, there are two main characters in this story. There's, there's Saul and there's Samuel, right? And Samuel was the prophet of the day. When Samuel walked onto the scene, if you read through this book, you will see that people were scared to death of Samuel. Because Samuel... God 
connected with Samuel. He was God, Samuel was God's spokesperson to the people of Israel, and God moved in power through Samuel. There's, a, there's a, a, an instance in a story just a, a chapter or two later where Samuel walks in, and he's going to anoint David, and he comes into this, this town, and the people are scared to death. They're like, are you coming in peace? Because they're scared that he's coming to bring judgment. And everybody, they don't know what's going to happen. But they're, they're scared to death and have this reverent fear and awe of Samuel because of the anointing of, of God, God's hand on Samuel. So you have to understand what has taken place. God has called the people out of bondage from Egypt. He wants to be their one God, their one king. And he'll, so he speaks to Samuel in some chapters earlier. And he, and he tells the people... The people are crying out saying, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. And he says through Samuel, but I want to be your king. I want you to be different than the other nations of the world. And the people say, but we want a king. And, 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 and through Samuel, the Lord says, if you have a king, then your slaves will be, then your daughters will be slaves and your, your men will be slaves to war. And they say, well, we want a king anyway. We want to be like the other nations. So what happens next is, okay, the Lord gives Samuel instructions. He said, here's the man that I've chosen to be king. His name is Saul. And he's a tall, strong, handsome looking man. But he comes from one of the weakest tribes in the weakest, comes from the weakest tribe of Benjamin and one of the weakest clans in that weakest tribe. And so as as Samuel anoints Saul to be king, here we find him in this, in this season of being king and the people following and leading him. And we, we come into to chapter 15, and this is where we're going to start reading. We have to recognize that Saul has some problems. And some of the problems that we're addressing with Saul this morning are the very things that God is, is bringing up and trying to address in our lives as we begin looking beneath the surface. So we're going to begin reading in verse 7, but I'm just going to kind of set things up for you. Um, in verse 2, the Lord said that, uh, Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did in Israel when they waylaid them from when they came up out of Egypt. So this, this tribe, the Amalekites, were not nice, were not kind. They waylaid the people of Israel when God brought them out of Egypt. And the Lord said, now I'm going to punish them. And so this is what I want you to do, Samuel. He's telling Samuel this. Samuel, you're going to go tell Saul, go and, and kill them, every one of them, and their, their cattle and their sheep and their livestock. And so Samuel goes and presents this to, uh, to Saul. And here we're going to pick up what Saul's action is in verse 7. So follow along with me, if you will. Then Saul attacked the Malachites all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and all his people. He totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved. I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to Saul. Uh, but he was, he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There uh, he, has, he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. 
When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And what is this lowing of cow cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Malachites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle sacrifice to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, but the but he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy the wicked people, the Malachites, make war on them until you have wiped them, wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Malachites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle and plunder the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So let's pause a moment before we read the last few verses. Here is Saul. And he's just been he's just been victorious in conquering the Malachites. Not a small task to do. He's completely wiped them out. And where is this friction between the Lord and Saul? Is the Lord told him to wipe out all the livestock and all the people and everything. And here he's brought back the king Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle. And he even looks at it and says, I mean, when Samuel comes onto the scene... What, it, what does it look like Saul's response is? Like he's smiling, he's excited, he's happy. Woohoo, we won the victory. Look at how we obliterated these people, how the Lord moved on our behalf, and what an awesome thing that's happened. We no longer have this threat and this enemy. They're wiped out. I did exactly what the Lord said. And Samuel, when correcting him, you didn't do exactly what the Lord said. Almost in a becoming defensive posture, well, of course I did. I, I didn't, I'm not the one that brought back the, the cattle and the sheep. The soldiers brought back the cattle and the sheep. Right? But they brought them back so we can sacrifice them. And, and here is Samuel, and he continues on as we pick back up in verse 22. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey... Is better than to sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. Whoo! I wouldn't want to be Saul. Here he is. He's confident. He's just watched the Lord move on their behalf and he has one is amazing victory. And when Samuel walks on the scene, he's excited to see him. He's he's rejoicing inside. The people are high fiving. They're having a party. They're ready to slaughter some cattle to celebrate. We already saw that 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 Saul went off to set up a monument on his own behalf. Of how great a king he is to defeat these people. And then now Samuel, this this mentor, this this father figure, this spiritual hero in Saul in Saul's life comes onto the scene and rebukes him and tells him that the Lord has now rejected you as king. 
Imagine what those words, those piercing words would feel like to Saul. The man that I have the most fear and most respect and that I thought was coming to celebrate with us has just given me the hardest news of my life that I'm now rejected as king. And he moves to this place that many of us have been in. But it is this place that we actually need to move toward that's uncomfortable. And it's a place of brokenness. And we see his brokenness as we read verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people. And so I gave in to them. Through this place that Saul moves to of being broken and being rejected and feeling pain. He's then finally able to see beneath the surface for a moment and see the motivation was in his heart. Yes, I sinned. Just a moment earlier, before this brokenness took place, he was confident, he was excited, and here he is as truth is spoken to him and the Lord has rejected him as king. This brokenness revealed something beneath the surface that he was not willing to admit to himself beforehand. But the Lord brought it about to identify. And so from that identification, he can see this thing within his heart of why he was motivated to not slaughter everything. Because he was afraid of the people. He was afraid of what they might think. And what we have to be able to recognize as we read through Scripture is we've got to learn to be able to identify with the characters in these stories. We need to be able to step into Saul's shoes and recognize in every one of our lives we have fears and concerns and worries and things that motivate us that we may not readily see because we're so interested and excited about the, the visible thing in the moment. But there are things going on underneath us that motivate us, oftentimes fears and fears of what other people might think that keep us from being the people that God's called us to be. And praise God that he allows and he welcomes and he draws us, draws his people to a place of transformation. And oftentimes that's a place of brokenness. It may or may not be brokenness from a, from a scenario or a situation, but it's a brokenness that, that invites God dealing with something below the surface in our lives. And so what we're going to look at this morning are these, are three no's that exist, the three no's to keep us emotionally unhealthy. In our spiritual lives. And the first of the three no's we've already begun to address. This first no are difficulties, hardships, and trials. In Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 reads, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission Son, though he was, he learned obedience uh, from, from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. 
Jesus himself came and suffered and died. Imagine Jesus in the garden before his crucifixion. I mean, we see this image and he's sweating drops of blood. He, he feels the weight. He feels the pain. He feels the agony of what is taking place and what is about to happen to the point that he is under such anxiety and such stress and such pressure that he's sweating drops of blood. Now, I've never been to that level. I don't know if any of you have, but evidently it's physically possible to, to endure or to experience enough stress that you're sweating blood. And this is where we see Jesus. But at the same time, in the midst of his suffering, he was able to experience a level of peace because of his trust for his father. To say, take this cup from me. But not my will, yours be done. I trust you. And unfortunately, there are circles and bands of in theology that encircle us in our culture. Um, I will name one as a prosperity gospel that says that suffering is evil. That pain is not at all something that you should experience in this life. And it's just not biblical. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left heaven, this perfect place where there is no pain and suffering, to come and suffer and die on our behalf, that we could experience a life with him, Scripture very clearly invites us, look at Romans chapter 8, that we share with him in his sufferings. Now, does he invite us to a place of brokenness and suffering for pain's sake or for suffering's sake? No, he invites us to identify with him in his suffering that the core of who we are can choose him that our very soul can choose to trust in God just as Jesus did in the garden take this cup from me but not my will yours be done I trust you and so because I trust you I will follow you and I will embrace whatever you have in store for me for me and the Lord loves us too much to not to try to keep us or protect us from any trials that would hinder us from growing into the people that he's called us to be. A people after his own heart. A people that live by faith, not by sight. And even when it could be uncomfortable for us and even when it could be hard, we can face whatever trials or tribulation or suffering that are, we might have to endure with him. And be able to step into his peace that he gives us. But a theology that says that suffering and trials and hardships are not something you should ever experience. Those are from the devil and not something God has in store for you is just not biblical. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We see this all the way back in the Old Testament. Chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. Remember how the Lord God led you on the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order that you may, you may, know, what, that you may know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, feeding you with manna to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, any trials or tribulations or hardships that the Lord would have us endure, he, he, he has those as things that can be used 
by his spirit to grow us and to mature us into who he would have us to be. And we are so comfortable. I'm so comfortable avoiding pain that oftentimes I may I may just look at a scenario or look at a situation and say, well, what's less painful? Well, that's obviously the thing that I want to do. Right. I mean, heck, I don't even like working out because it's painful. Right. I mean, it's just even in simple things like we are the most pain avoidant group of people, culture, probably that's ever walked the, pain, the, walked the planet. You know, the, the American dream has almost moved into, you know, we don't have to work. We don't have to do things. We just we can just. It feels good. Do it. Let's stay dumb, fat and happy. But what does that do for us in our spiritual life? The Lord loves us too much to just let us plan to live dumb, fat and happy. He has a plan and a purpose for us to grow and to be able to live a life learning to trust him and have these core things beneath the surface fleshed out to transform us into a person that experiences life, that experiences peace, that experiences joy. Just look at James chapter one. Consider it pure joy when you endure trials of many kind. Right. Those trials will come, but there is a life of where we can learn and grow into understanding that this can be a joyful thing because I know God is doing a good work within me. So the number one thing, the number one no we want to say to that, that keeps us unhealthy spiritual, spiritually is we want to avoid difficulties, hardships and trials. Number two is we want to say no, just like we see Saul doing, saying no to reflection and self-awareness. Saul was convinced that he was right. He was excited. Samuel's coming on the scene. We're going to have a party. But had no ability because he was not seeking. He was seeking his own celebration, building an altar to himself. Saul was living as a king to the people instead of a king for God. And in addressing this character of Saul this morning, the whole point in this purpose is that God wants to pull the Saul that is in every one of us out. And lead us to this place where we can have a heart like David, a heart like Christ, that Christ's heart was not fixed on being a king to the people. David's heart was not fixed on being a king to the people. His heart was to be a king before God. And in the coming weeks, we'll, we'll dive into David's character. And what the Lord does. But in every one of us, there's a Saul that's much more concerned about what people might think about our decisions, about our scenarios, about the things that we're doing and experiencing in life than we are about whether or not God what God thinks of this. So if we're going to grow to be spiritually healthy and emotionally healthy, we have to learn to be led into understanding what our motivations are. That there are so many fears that drive so many actions in our lives. And when fear is this motivation driving us, no positive fruit is going to come from this thing. The Lord wants to address that. The Lord wants to bring healing to that. That fear is not our motivation to act, but trusting in him is. The third thing that the Lord wants to do and address We say no to slowing down to cultivate a personal relationship with God. 
We are so busy doing so many different things that we use God and we, we, we just get distracted in our spiritual lives. And so in, in just a moment, we're going to watch a video from, from Pete Scazzaro. M- many of you, most of you have not, not ever seen anything from Pete. And so I wanted to show this little clip. This is a clip from uh, what we'll, you'll be studying in your small groups um, this week. But it's the, his top ten list of the things that keep us from slowing down enough to cultivate a relationship with God. Plan for us. So now in this first study, we will be looking at the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. It will begin to unpack the principle that the degree to which we are willing to give Jesus access to what is deeply beneath the surface in our lives is the degree to which we will experience freedom in him. Uh, Let me just say that again. The degree to which we are willing to give Jesus access to what is deeply beneath the surface in our lives is the degree to which we will experience freedom in him. We'll begin by looking at the top ten symptoms to determine if someone is suffering from a bad case of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. So here's the ten symptoms. Number one, it's using God to run from God. There are few viruses that are more deadly and more difficult to discern than this one. In my case, using God to run from God is when I create a great deal of activity for God and I ignore difficult areas in my life that God wants to change. So it might be things like, you know, I use God to run from God when I, when I do God's work really to satisfy me. It's not really about him. Or I use God to run from God when I do things in his name that he never asked me to do. I use God to run from God when my prayers are really about God doing my will. It's like he's my secretary and not my surrendering to his. The second symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality is ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. Uh, Most Christians believe that anger, sadness, and fear are sins to be avoided, that something is wrong with our spiritual lives if we're feeling them. And like most Christians, I I was taught that, that feelings were unreliable and not to be trusted. This applies especially to the difficult feelings of fear and sadness and anger and hurt and pain. The problem with this is it's not biblical, and the practical implications of, of such a view is enormous. We end up as a half human being suppressing our God-given humanity as men and women made in his image. And we end up missing the many, many ways God's actually speaking to us and coming to us. The third symptom is dying to the wrong things. It's true, Jesus did say, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The question, however, is what does that mean? Yes, we're to die to the sinful parts of who we are such as defensiveness and detachment from others and arrogance and stubbornness and judgmentalness and hypocrisy, as well as the more obvious sins described for us in Scripture. But we're not called by God to die to the good parts of who we are. God never asked us to die to the healthy desires and pleasures of life, to friendships, to joy, to art, to music, to beauty, to recreation, to laughter, to nature. God plants desires in our hearts. So we will nurture and water them. And these desires and passions are are so very often invitations and gifts from him. Fourthly, is denying the past's impact on the present. When we come to faith in Christ, whether as a child, a teenager, or an adult, uh, we are, as the Bible calls, we're born again. Uh, The the Apostle Paul says, you know, the old is gone, the new has come. That's our new status in Christ. And yet the work of maturing in Christ, of growing Uh, what theologians call sanctification, that that actually demands that we go back in order to break free from unhealthy and destructive patterns that prevent us from going forward to all that God has for us. So so the goal is to go forward, but we've got to get rid of the baggage we carry first. 
The fifth symptom is dividing our lives into sacred and secular compartments. It's so easy to compartmentalize God to Christian activities like church or praying or reading the Bible or going to a small group. But it's easy not to think about God when we're at work or studying or when we're dealing with money or taking exams or playing sports. And in fact, according to many polls and sociologists, one of the greatest scandals of our day is that many Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as materialistic and self-centered and hedonistic and sexually immoral as the world in general. And Ron Sider has summarized it very well. He says, whether the issue is marriage or sexuality or money or care for the poor, evangelicals are living scandalously unbiblical lives. And the data suggests that in many, many crucial areas. Really, Christians are not living any differently from their unbelieving neighbors. The sixth symptom is doing for God instead of being with God. That is, being productive and getting things done are are the highest priorities in our Western culture. And so within minutes of being introduced to someone, we ask, what do you do? Our identity is in our doing. The problem is that our identity as Christians is in God's love for us, not our doing. It's in our being with him. Our activity for God can only properly flow from a life with God. We cannot give what we do not possess. And when our doing and our work for God is not nourished by a deep interior life with him, we end up off center. Our sense of worth and validation ends up shifting from God's unconditional love to us to our work and performance. And what happens is the joy of Christ gradually just disappears and we become human doing machines, not human beings. The seventh symptom is spiritualizing away conflict. Nobody likes conflict. Yet conflict is everywhere. From law courts to workplaces to classrooms to neighborhoods to marriages to friendships. We smooth over them. We sweep them under the rug. We pray they go away. And yet Jesus was in regular conflict with the religious leaders, the crowds, the disciples, even his own family. And out of a desire to bring true peace, Jesus disrupted false peace all around him. He refused to spiritualize it away. Instead, he actually engaged conflict in a way that brought life and brought his kingdom. The eighth symptom is covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. It's also a symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. The pressure to present an image of ourselves as strong and spiritually together, it hovers over most of us. We feel guilty for not measuring up, for not making the grade. And yet the Bible does not spin the flaws and weaknesses of its heroes. Abraham lied. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Peter rebuked God. Noah got drunk. Jonah was a racist, Jacob lied, John Mark deserted Paul, Elijah burnt out, Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal, Thomas doubted. And all these people send the same message, that every human being on earth, regardless of their gifts, their strengths, is weak, vulnerable, and dependent on God and other people. The ninth symptom is living without limits. A core spiritual issue here relates to our limits and our humanity. We're not God. We can't serve everyone in need. We're human beings. And when we cross over limits given to us by God, we end up in trouble. Just look at Adam and Eve once they cross the limits set by God in the Garden of Eden. Jesus modeled limits for us as a human being. Fully God, yet fully human. He did not heal every person who was sick in Palestine. He did not raise every dead person. He did not feed all the hungry beggars. A life without limits forgets something. That God is God and that we are not. And then finally, the tenth symptom is judging other people's spiritual journey. I was taught it was my responsibility to correct people in error or in sin and to always counsel people who are mixed up spiritually or weren't in a place with God that I thought they should be in. I felt guilty. I saw something questionable. I did nothing to point it out. 
if I, if I, I felt guilty if I did nothing to point it out. And most of us have no trouble at all dispensing advice or pointing out wrongdoing. But like Jesus said, unless I first take the log out of my own eye, knowing that I have a huge blind spot or many blind spots, I'm dangerous. So just a little snapshot for those of you that will be in groups this week. This is Pete Scazzaro. But I want you to hear him talk about these top ten system, you know, uh, things that top 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Anybody identify with anything in that list? I mean, if you can't identify with anything in that list, then man, you really got some blinders on. Cause I think we're all there. Right. And that's why we're doing things together in a group. Like we can all relate. We've all got stuff underneath the surface. We're all blind to some of the stuff that's under the surface. You know, uh, your spouse probably can see some of the stuff under your surface better than you can. Right. But the Lord sees all of it. And in a loving way, he wants to come alongside us and help us grow to be mature and to be well and to be able to live the life, the the amazing life. Right. The full life that he came to bring. And that's what we're diving into in this in this study. So. When uh, when John Ortberg, um, who's a well-known pastor, many of you may have may have heard of him when he was uh, shifting to to work at a church prior to the one he works at now, Willow Creek, big, busy, large church. Many of you may have heard of it. Uh, It's up in Chicago. Uh, When he first went on staff there, he called his spiritual mentor, uh, Dallas Willard. He said he asked Dallas, he said, how can I be a better leader for Christ? How can I be a better leader for Christ? I'm in this big church. It's moving and it's happening. Chicago's a big city. There's a lot of things going on. I feel a little bit out of my league. But Dallas, I want to be a better leader for Christ. What's the counsel and advice that you would have for me? And Dallas said, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John's like, wrote it down. It's like, okay, I got it. What's next? He said, he, he, he paused for a minute. And and Dallas is one of these people. I've read several of his books, watched a lot of his stuff online. He is never without words. And and Ortberg goes on to say that he said, that's it. I can't think of anything else. If you want to be a better leader, then eliminate hurry from your life. You see, so much of our lives are so busy that we don't have a clue of how to slow down and connect with God or walk with God or recognize what's going on inside of us, much less, much less what God's wanting to do in us and through us in the moment. That we're just moving from one thing to the next. I can identify with 10 of the 10 things on that list. And if we're going to be a church that is truly stepping into the plan that God has for us corporately, then we have to be a people individually that are stepping into the goodness of God and learning how to trust him, learning how to be able to walk into places that may initially feel painful to address. But by walking into what could be perceived as pain, trusting God and watch him deliver us. If he can deliver Jesus Christ from the grave, he can deliver us from any pain of any issue that has been a part of our past. Are we willing to slow things down enough to be able to walk with him? The reality is the way we have been living our life, there is another way. There's another way of embracing what Christ has in store for us and taking steps to say yes to become emotionally healthy spiritually by by being broken through setbacks and difficulties. 
willing to recognize that there may be some pain involved in dealing with this thing that I've avoided for so long and I've never talked to anybody about. But in being willing to trust God, find the courage to deal with that and let him bring a relief and healing that you don't have to have the, the things of the past continue to hold you back and to keep you bound from who God is calling you to be. He has a place of freedom, a place of restoration that he wants to bring if we will have courage to follow him and trust him. The second thing, say yes to self-reflection and awareness. Self-reflection and learning how to dialogue and you'll see questions each day in, your, in, in, the, in the daily office or the day-to-day book. There's questions to ponder throughout the day. And learning how to embrace self-reflective questions is learning how to ask God questions of what he knows about you that you may not yet realize. Fill in the blank. You know, why do I feel blank? Why do I feel angry? Why do I feel happy? Why did I enjoy, you know, this interaction at work? Why did I hate this kind of interaction at work, right? Why do I get angry when I get cut off in traffic, right? You're you're learning how to engage God and ask him questions that he knows about you. He knows what makes you angry and what is beneath the surface of where that anger comes from. He knows what makes you happy and where that happiness comes from. And as we learn to embrace this dialogue, learn to embrace this self-reflection, self-awareness that we're asking him these questions, he wants to show us things. And bring about change in our lives. And the third thing as I, as I wrap up here that we say yes to is cultivating my personal relationship with God. As obviously we've talked about already that slow down enough. But now learning how to take steps and how to engage reflective questions. And how to discover what God wants to do. That we slow down in order to walk with Him. So many times we're running so fast in so many different circles Stereo blaring in the car, stealing away those moments for God to hear his whisper, to bring us peace or to bring us joy in the moment. But we have to learn how to walk with him. And so finally, I want to uh, I want to read this this last piece. He said, when we are brutally honest, open about the issues and areas in our lives where we need to become emotionally healthy and we are. And we bring these together with real commitment to cultivate our inner life with God. Or what are we calling or what we're calling contemplative spirituality? We will embrace true, emotional, healthy spirituality. Where we're willing to embrace this, this looking beneath the surface and willing to slow down to learn to walk with God. Then we're taking steps to embrace emotionally healthy spirituality. I'm going to read a passage from Ezekiel, chapter 36. It's from the message, verses 26 through 28. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's like that. That's God's willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. You'll be my people and I'll be your God. This is what the Lord wants you to know. That this is a promise that he wants you to hold on to. As you'll take the courage to trust him. And let him reveal the things beneath the surface. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the goodness of who you are. Thank you, Lord, for those that will turn their heart to seek you. They'll discover that you are loving and patient and kind. That you do not seek to dishonor or belittle or to shame or to hold grudges. Lord, you delight. You delight for us to discover you as the desire of a heart. You want us to discover and enjoy what it's like to be in your company. As a firsthand experience, we get to step into and know the goodness of who you are, the love that you have, and delight in your character. You want us to grow in a confidence that the, that the first response of our heart is that, that, you, that we know that you love us and that you want to protect us and you, you, that you trust us and we can trust you. That you have a hope that you have planned a future for us. Your heart is not to harm us, but to heal us and restore us to the life that you created us for. So thank you, Lord, that you are drawing us to a deeper place. You are leading us to change that we have to be willing to embrace. Thank you that you're not afraid to test us. That your testing is an, is an effort to love us and lead us to that change. Lead us to be a people after your own heart. you that you meet us in the stillness, in the quiet places. Lord, guide us how to turn down the volume of self in the world and learn how to hear your whisper. to us all the celebrations and distractions and self-altars that we are so accustomed to building. And let us be a people that are a people for you. Not a people to be concerned with who we are before one another or others. How the world might see us. But bring about this transformation. teach our souls to truly sing in your goodness. Harvest is going to lead us in a, in a time where if, if there's something that you know that is something that you're ready to bring to God and just say, yes, I, I, I'm willing to embrace that. I've always held that off. But Lord, walk me into that in this season. Then I just invite you to come. We have the stage. You can use an altar. We have people on either side of the stage that can pray with you. But I just encourage you to begin preparing your heart to recognize what these things can be. And we all have them. 
and have the courage to follow him. Have the courage to grow the trust that you have in him. We're excited about what God wants to do in each of us as staff and what God's wanting to do here among us as a church. If you're here this morning and you want to give an offering, we have baskets up here on the front that you can put that in. We, as, as you may have already know, we have communion over here to my right, your left. Harvest is going to continue to sing. You guys are dismissed to go as you, as you please. But if the Lord is stirring something within you, we just encourage you to hang out in here for a few more minutes and let God do what he's wanting to do as he leads you to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Strip everything.